chapter 4 today, if you want to follow along with your, your scriptures. Let's ask the Lord to illuminate this part of his word. Gracious Father, as we look at the story of Cain and his brother Abel, pray that you would teach us and there'd be something we can take away that will be an enabling, it'll be an understanding, it'll be a, a growing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the first son of Adam and Eve and it's a tragic story, a haunting story because he who is the woman's offspring was born in the hope of crushing the serpent because God had just said this in Genesis chapter 3 if you go back there it says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And Eve's got that in the back of her mind in 4 verse 2 and she said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. With the help of the Lord, that's an expression of gratitude. She calls him Cain. And Cain is like, there's a few aspects of the meaning of this word, but it's a possession as, as this, if something is valued above something else, above everything else. And that's the one that's come. She's really valuing this man that's come, that's, that's been brought forth from her. And then she named her next son Abel, and that means a weakness or a vanity, a grief a lamentation, maybe a vapour, something of not so much substance. And indeed, that was prophetic because he was too soon gone in sadness. And so it's possible for Eve to have that Genesis chapter 3 ringing in her ears and thinking that here's Cain, the promised offspring, is going to crush the head of the serpent. And she was, of course, wrong, wasn't she? <laughs> And from this, been, and from Cain and Abel, there's been a couple of haunting phrases that enter into our language, enter into the collective knowledge of us. And the first thing is there's the way of Cain. And in the little short book of Jude, verse 11, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. And then there's another phrase from the story that's come in the mark of Cain. And we see in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15, the second half of the verse, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. A mark of Cain. And the Apostle John considers Cain to be a warning. He's a warning to us. Cain's example which is what the way of Cain is, Cain's example is to be avoided at all costs. And you'd have to go to 1 John 3, verse 12 to see, do not be like Cain. Do not be like Cain. And then this description, why? Who belonged to the evil one. Well, there's a lot in that little phrase, isn't it? He belonged to the evil one and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous, which is sort of like the opposite of justice, isn't it? 
kill the good guy. That's not what justice is about. So we go to the story back in Genesis 4, verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, as makes him a farmer, and Cain walked, worked the soil, market gardener. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought also an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favour. And we've got a bit of a pictorial representation of the two guys. We've got lots of lovely fruit and veg, but not so happy looking Cain. And then you've got a more worshipful Abel in the background. And so, big question is why? Why? What was wrong with Cain's sacrifice? And at a sort of flippant level, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, there's a difference here between veggie and fruit and meat. But later in the Old Testament, there actually are grain offerings and there are wine offerings. So it can't just be about, is a vegetable sacrifice worse than a meat sacrifice? Or maybe it's ignorance. Possibly, what about this? Cain might not have got the memo. He might not have seen the email. He might not have got the Facebook post. But if it was a genuine error, because he didn't really know what God wanted in the offering, then if he was like most of us, we'd say, oh, oh geez, sorry, I didn't know that. Uh, oh, look, I'll fix it up straight away. We wouldn't go, well, blow you, mate. I brought along some really good veggies here. Those tomatoes especially, they were killer. If you don't like it, well, too bad. Because that's what Cain did. And if it was ignorance that he didn't bring a good sacrifice, what about when God said in 4 verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you... Do what's right, will you not be accepted? And God's saying, you shouldn't be angry because all you have to do is to fix this. All you have to do to fix it is just do the right thing. And because God doesn't spell out exactly what that right thing is, because he doesn't repeat the instructions about the offering, we can safely assume that he's already done that. We can assume that Cain does know what the right thing to do is. And so what God is saying is, look, mate, what are, you, what are you getting upset about? All you had to do was do the right thing and there'd be no problem. Your offering would be looked upon in favour. Hmm, so what is then? What's wrong with Cain's sacrifice? And we need to go to the book of Hebrews to find some more information about that. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith... Oh, there's already a clue there. By faith... Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even although he's dead. And so what's brought in here, that new dimension to it all, is the, the, the heart attitude of faith. 
Cain, you see, doesn't have the faith in God which Abel has. And Abel is actually saved by his faith because that's what being commended as being righteous means. He was saved. And so right at the beginning of the human race, we have salvation by faith. Salvation by faith goes right back there. And when the, what the Apostle Paul expresses in its fullest shape in Ephesians is seen right here in Abel's life. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. There's another dimension that comes in in this story and that's the dimension of enemies, enmity. Remember back in chapter 3 verse 15, God said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. I'll make you and the woman enemies, in other words, and your offspring will be enemies of her offspring. And as we go on in the story, we're going to see reflected in this enmity between Cain and Abel, the enmity between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring, between those who follow Satan and those who follow God. And we're going to see from the very beginning of human history that those people who are dissatisfied with God's way are violently dissatisfied. Verse 8 of chapter 4 of Genesis. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. If you want to know where antagonism towards Christians comes from, where antagonism towards the course of Christ comes from, then Cain is the first example of how berserk some people get in regard to God and in regard to the things of God. And they go particularly berserk when you point out what the Bible calls sin. Nowadays, they even say that is hate speech if you call any of their lifestyle or their life choices or their practices unbiblical or even worse if you say they are sinful. And they will attack with passion and persistence and malevolence simply for living biblically. Why? Well, I guess there might have been some envy in there. Cain a bit envious of the favour which Abel received. But I think the biggest factor is self-determination. Cain wanted to do things his way. He wanted to bring an offering which he thought was suitable because he had his idea of what God ought to be happy with. He had an, his idea of what was an excellent offering. And it's a bit like choosing a gift for a special someone. You know, when you're young in the gift-giving game, you see something which you really personally like, like a, a beautiful um, battery-powered tool, and you think, gee... She'd really love that. Surely they'll love it too. And it's only as you get a bit better in the gift-giving skills area that you say, start to think, ooh, no, what would they like? 
what, what have they talked about that they'd like one day? Um, do they have a wish list? But Cain, he was so convinced of his own opinion about what was a good offering for God that he ignored the instruction which he had received. He didn't look at the wish list, did he? Verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And God's re there reminding him that he knew what was right and that not doing what is right is sin. And he also knew the addictive nature of sin, of not doing what's right. Because if you give in to it, it wants to rule over you. Now when it comes to us weighing up the spiritual issues, we've got logic, we've got reasoning, we've got our intuitions, we've got our guesses, we've got our feelings, and they all lead us to make decisions. And we have limits to the things that we'll believe in because some things make sense to us and some things don't. And one of the tasks of growing up is to grow in self-awareness, to become aware of where we are coming from in our decision-making, to become aware of what are our preconceptions, what are the things we value particularly, what are our personal rules, what are our codes of, of behaviour. And as we grow as Christians, our, our life task is to become more aware of our inner thinking, our inner values, and to work on them so they align more and more with the Bible, more and more with the revealed world of, word of, and will of God. And that's why we read our Bible every day, and that's why we go to church, and that's why we watch Christian YouTube videos, because it's so easy to become a Cain, stuck in your views, and particularly stuck in views which are not biblical, which are unchristian, which are illogical. And that's why people who are, get out of the habit of going to church are in danger. Because they're in danger of becoming self-satisfied with their own views. You see, it's addictive to become settled in your viewpoint. But we need to hear what God said to Cain there. And he said, sin is crouching at the door. It, it desires to have you. It wants to rule over you, so you must rule over it. Because if it doesn't, you'll get addicted to something. Because an addiction is where sin is ruling over you. And then we see what God thinks about people who want to worship him in their own unique, special way. And in doing so, destroy others and lead others astray. Speak all manner of evil against them, in fact, because they don't hold on to your viewpoint. Because make no mistake, people lead others away from the Lord when they have their own views, which are not biblical. And they can also murder other people's reputations in order to justify their thinking, which unfortunately is heretical. And God will demand an accounting at some point for those who have been murdered, both literally and figuratively. Verse 9, here comes that. The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? 
I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Subtitle, yes you are. <laughs> the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it'll no longer yield its crops for you and you'll be a restless wanderer all over the earth. And so Cain got punished for his unwillingness to repent and offer an acceptable offering to the Lord. He lost his occupation. The gardener was driven from the ground because the sin of his murder, the sin of murderer had been transmitted to the ground through the blood of Abel, the blood of his victim. And we see the principle of sin requires a sacrifice to pay for it, which is seen throughout the Bible. It's seen very vividly in this story. And incidentally, it's not just a biblical viewpoint because since the beginning of time, cultures all over the world have seen a connection between some bad stuff happens, punishment needs to be to be applied to it because fair is fair. You do something wrong, you should get into trouble. And in case you think sacrifices are a barbaric way of paying for it, you know that you still want payback for when bad stuff is done to you, don't you? Someone needs to pay for what they did to you. And in this story, the garden, in a sense, becomes the sacrifice for Cain's sin. Abel's brother is received by the ground. It cries out from there for retribution. And the very fruitful relationship that Cain had, the gardener, is sacrifice. The relationship is sacrifice. Cain is placed under a curse. It disconnects him from the ground. Something had to pay for the murder and it became Cain's relationship with the ground. The ground thus is cursed as far as Cain is concerned. You know, when Cain brought his offering to the Lord, he didn't see that there'd be dramatic consequences like this. He couldn't see that. He didn't foresee how angry he would get and how his anger would be so immense that he'd then become a murderer. And he didn't foresee what would happen to him when he got caught out for doing it. You, know, you sort of wonder, had he understood those consequences, maybe he would have prepared a proper sacrifice, as Abel did. But isn't that the way of those who think they're going to come to God in their own way? They don't foresee the consequences. Abel offered the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. He offered the very best of his flock. And it's pretty doubtful whether Cain would have offered the best, but you know, we're just speculating there. However, a very, according to Hebrews, a key element of the problem with what he brought is that he didn't have the faith to go with the offering. And we see in the story just how entrenched Cain is in his own viewpoint. Because when he comes to complain about the fact that he's getting punished, we don't see any notion of him thinking that he was wrong of any need for him to repent. Any, please, could I be forgiven? 
all he does is he grumbles about how harsh is the sentence he receives and he's probably holding on to the thought that, look, God, you're overreacting. It's just a minor point, really. It's just one sacrifice. Why would any reasonable person be worried about this? I mean, it was some really good veggies I brought for my offering. And anyway, someone ought to review this law and they ought to change the punishment attached to it. No, he doesn't. 4 verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Not, oh, I'm sorry, I repent. No, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll, I'll be hidden from your presence and I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And how does God react? With graciousness. Verse 15. He's unrepentant, Cain, completely. God is still gracious. But the Lord said to him, no, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Mark of Cain is grace. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And Cain was then building a city. Well, he couldn't work the land, could he? So he started building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. And so the mark of Cain, that's a symbol of grace, it's protection for a very sinful person. It's a guarantee of safety for an undeserving person and it's a reminder for us to not want the worst for bad people but to offer grace as our mentor, our leader, our example, our God, the Father does. And then Cain is driven off the land, he's wandering restlessly over the earth. He's not left with many options, is he? So he does start the first city. His restlessness probably prevented him from finishing it. But it's a dramatic picture of what happens when you want to come to God in your own way. When you want to worship God in your own way. You become restless. You become divorced from God's creation. You huddle together in cities. Men talking with men, women with women, devising increasingly weirder theologies and practices, increasingly separated from God as you try to come to God in your own way. The way of Cain, the way of man-devised and man-conceived religions always leaves those people restless, wandering the earth. And we learn from the way of Cain that you cannot come to God on your own terms. You cannot... Demand that God answer you if you're a real God, show up. You can't demand that. You can't demand that God show himself to you, explain himself to you. And no matter what you bring to the table, no matter how clever you think you are, no matter how worthy you think you've been in this life, if you want to bring an offering which God will approve, you need to bring the kind of offering which Abel brought. Hebrews 11.4 Reminds us again, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. 
when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. See, an offering, an acceptable offering, will be a simple but a profoundly deep belief in God. The sacrifice, blood spilled to pay for a blood debt, will be Jesus' sacrifice for us. Jesus who came as that perfect sacrifice to spill his blood, to pay the blood debt owed for the sins of all humanity. And we are to come in faith, committed in faith, to trusting our Saviour's sacrifice on our behalf. Trusting that when we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We don't need to be struggling and striving about this. Why would we be downcast if our, our life is restless and wandering when it's a simple thing? We know what to do. So this morning, when we look back, hopefully at Abel, whose name means weakness and vanity, a vapour, and see his life faded away in his prime to a vapour, due to the violence of his brother, and we think, what a tragic waste of a good man. But Abel, of those two, is the brother who's left the good legacy, isn't he? Abel is the one we're inspired by. His example we try to emulate. As Hebrews says, Abel is the one who still speaks to us this morning, even though he's dead. Hebrews 11.4, and by faith Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. And Abel's faith has endured to this very day. So don't think you've lost when life goes against you as it did for Abel. Don't think the disasters which have come upon us a divine punishment, that they're indicators that God is not as powerful as, he's, as we say he is. Take note that more important than life going well for us is our faith. What will endure will not be our reputations as good farmers, as good doctors, as good lawyers or parents. What will endure is our humble faith, our life lived God's way according to God's instructions. It's not our success in life, which is important, it's our faith in God. No matter what life throws at us, that's what's important. That's the golden goal. Not your success or your failure. If you think about people you've known over the years, the people you remember most are the people who lived out their faith. Because people are watching to see how your faith affects your living more than how your faith makes you the best farmer in the district. What is most inspiring is seeing other people trying to live out of their beliefs in every situation in which they face, trying to be God-pleasers, rather than be man-pleasers. And if you see courageous faith in people living their lives, it inspires us, inspires you to be courageous also. So as we draw it together, we ask, in which legacy will we walk? Abel's legacy or Cain's legacy? 
Will we live a life of satisfaction and humble trust in the Lord? Or will we live a life of dissatisfaction, always looking for the next good thing? Will God's word be enough for us? Or will we want something more? Will we be happy with the simplicity of faith in Jesus? Or will we want a more interesting and more complex, but ultimately just a restlessly dissatisfying life? Will we humbly depend upon God? Or will we want to flex those emotional, intellectual, physical muscles of ours and make a name for ourselves? Will we want to make a reputation for ourselves? Will we enjoy using the gifts and the talents and abilities God has given us to build the kingdom of God? Or will we want to one day come before God and say, God, look what I've done. Look at me. I've done all this great stuff. Well, I pray this morning that you will present to God an able-like offering of your life. May God enable you to be enabled. That's the way to God's favour. Don't be a Cain because God gave Cain the Cain. Let's pray. Lord, will you enable us to be enabled? Will you fill us with your spirit this day to bring an offering of faith to you? May our life be an offering of faith that God looks upon with favour. Forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. So come to the end for today, we want to uh, commit everything in our lives to you because being fully committed to you is the place of satisfaction and enables you to work within us and through us to build the kingdom of God in this world and to prepare us to live in the kingdom of God in the next world. All glory to God. Amen.